Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. In the first chapter of the memoirs of Charles Finney, uh, he, he makes a very interesting statement. My mind seems instinctively to recoil from saying so much about myself, as I shall be obliged to do if I speak honestly concerning those revivals and my relationship to them. And I have to say that I totally agree. I understood, as soon as I read this, I understood what he was talking about. And uh, I worked a little bit this afternoon on the number of hours that I've spent teaching. It's, it uh, comes out to about almost 3,000 hours over a period of my Sunday school career. Very seldom preached, uh, almost never, but it was, um, there were a lot of hours invested in uh, preparing for an adult Sunday school class, and that occupied 30 years of my life in the last church, uh, the, the church where Betsy and I met. It was about five years, and uh, then Irvine Community Church, we were there for just a short spell, maybe another four years. And then two years in Russia teaching, and two years with uh, Talbot, uh, Biola College, and uh, it's very different. To, to speak to a classroom and pr prepare for a classroom than it is to speak to a, an audience. And, uh, but if you have uh, questions along the way, don't uh, hesitate to raise your hand because that's what I'm accustomed to in the middle, <laughs> in the middle of lectures. In the summer of, uh, I'd just like to briefly uh, re uh, remind you of where we were the last time, and some of you may not have been here. But in the summer of 2019, I gave a series of six or seven uh, night series on the valleys of life and when the pastor called me and asked if there was something that I would like to do I said you know I, I might have given the wrong impression my life has not been one continuous valley uh, my life has been nearly one continuous mountaintop experience my Christian life and I thank God for that it has nothing to do with me it has everything to do with God uh, there are things that we can do to aid our spiritual growth uh, there are things that we can do to attract the attention of God, and I'll be talking about some of those this evening. I hope that uh, you will understand that only my, it is only my life that I'm qualified to speak about. After the comment that I heard the most after the last time was that, that is not my bucket list, and I never would want it to be my bucket list, the things that you described. Buying an old junk house in, in Oregon and jacking it up and putting a foundation under it and so forth. Those things that appealed very, very much to me and that the Lord allowed me to do before I became a Christian. And I think that it's very important that we remember God doesn't begin to take care of us after we become a Christian only. God takes care of the human race. And one of the great Psalms is that the Lord is, uh, the Lord is kind to all and his mercy is over all his works. All of the works of God are, are, are characterized and marked by the way he feeds the sparrows and the way he clothes the lily of the fields. And Jesus spent a lot of time talking about that. And so I tried to go back last week and, and bring us up to date on the number of things that God allowed me to do, although I didn't know him. I, I, was, I was in church 
I was faithful to church. My mother always made sure that uh, I and my sisters were in church. But the first time I heard the gospel, my comment was to the man that led me to the Lord ultimately, my comment was this. I have never heard this before. A personal relationship with God? It's, it's amazing. Now what I found and what I hope that uh, to, to convey uh, the last that I conveyed last time and will convey this time, and that is that uh, the kindness of God extends to his entire universe. He feeds the, he feeds the animals. He feeds the birds. He, uh, one of my favorite poems is uh, Elegy in a Country Churchyard. Full many a gem of purest ray serene, the dark unfathomed caves of ocean bear. Full many a flower is born to blush unseen and waste its sweetness on the desert air. Isn't that beautiful? How many flowers grow up and, and uh, bloom? If you look at the California poppies, it's absolutely out of this world when they're, uh, when they're in season. God is aware of all of that. He is very much aware of his creation and the beauty of it. And he knows where those dark, unfathomed caves of the ocean are, uh, where the jewels and the gems are hidden. But uh, tonight I'd like to start from the point where we left off, talking about the things that God did for me and the way he drew me to himself. And uh, if you're here tonight and you, you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, I'd like you especially to, to take that home with you tonight. And that is that there was a definite time in my life when God began to draw me into that personal relationship about which I knew nothing. And that was after I uh, became, uh, I, I attended the Air, uh, Air Force Language School, Russian Language School at Indiana University. Now, for me to be there was a miracle because as basic training closed down, they told me, Jay, we're, we've changed your orders. You're going to be going to Chinese language school. And I said, oh, man, come on. I can't think of anything I would rather not study than Chinese. Chinese is a tough language. But uh, just before I left basic training, they said, no, there's been a, another change back again, and you will be going to Indiana University, and you will be studying Russian. So I went there, and I moved into room 219, and uh, Dave was in room 221. This guy was a biblical genius, and he brought me to Christ by answering all of my questions to my satisfaction. And the way he did it was just have me, he would take a passage of scripture, turn it around the table, push it across the table, and say, here's your answer to your question here. Maybe this will satisfy you. Now, what I found, first of all, what a great way to do it, because what that did, it immediately made me a biblical Christian. It wasn't somebody's opinion. It wasn't a denomination. It wasn't anything like that. It was, I, w I became a biblical Christian. And when people ask me, what are you? I'm a biblicist. That's what I am. I care about what the Bible says. And I have been that since the day of my salvation. This afternoon, as I was uh, pondering uh, those days, I remember that until about 6.30 in the evening on March the 9th, 1963, until about 6.30 in the evening, I was a lost man. And I had told Dave, I said, Dave, I, 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 I know that what you have shown me has given me good answers to the questions that I had, which I didn't think he could do. And I said, uh, there's one thing missing. And that one thing is missing is this. I said, how do I know that this book has anything to do with God? Maybe it's just a book full of good answers. Because my opinion of the Bible was, after 
my mother suggesting that it was the Word of God. My opinion of the Bible was I told mom, I said, Mom, it's just a history book of the, of the Jewish people. That's all it is. It's nothing more. It's just a history book like Josephus. It's just a history of the Jewish people. Uh, about 6.30 in the evening on March the 9th, 1963, I bowed my knees before the Lord at the end of my cot, and I had prepared a, a rather formal address to the Lord. Uh, I'd worked on it and all these things that I was going to say to the Lord. But the interesting thing is I never opened my mouth. God broke me down so completely that, my, as my daughter says about her children, I ended up in a puddle of tears. And that was my conversion experience. I didn't say anything to the Lord because he knew what I was going to say. And I didn't have to say anything to him. But from that day on, I realized this is a major juncture in my life. This is something big. And it was only later as I began to read the Bible that I realized that Jesus said this, unless a man is a person, unless a human being is born again, they cannot see and they cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he says later on, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. Well, man, you say that to the average person on the street who has no idea what you're talking about, and they will not understand. That's what, I'm trying, that's what I'd like to get across tonight. They will not understand until they're born again. And once they're born again, they will know that they're born again, and you won't have to tell them. Uh, one, of the, one of the problems, I believe, that we see in a Christian church today is that because we fail to bring people to a personal and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we have to continue follow-up sometimes for years. And that takes good troops out of the line, just following up people and encouraging people who have never come to Christ personally. And so if we bring them to Christ, we can be, we can be a little bit like Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip waved goodbye to the Ethiopian eunuch and sent him off to Ethiopia. And from him and others like him, there was a, a large Christian church in Ethiopia for until this present day, in fact. And so that critical thing. Now, the thing that's important is this. What we have to do is using scripture and using our own life experience is to bring a person to the place where they understand that there, there are two births in this world. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and it will never be anything else. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. There has to be that conversion, that birth. Uh, liberals for decades now that I'm aware of have been very careful to try to get us to change the language of Christianity. They're very big on that. We've got to get away from this old fashioned born again type language. And the reason they want to do that is because they are not born again. Any person who has received Christ and has received the Spirit of God doesn't want to change the language because I'll tell you right now, there's no other way to say it. You can rack your brain to think of another way of saying it and there's no other way to say it. When you are born again, you will, and only then, will you understand you must be born again. So it's helpful if we keep our instructions simple. And then we also need that wonderful partnership with the Holy Spirit. Pray for that person, because that's what they did with me. See, when I, when I said to Dave, I can't see that there's any necessary connection between this book and God. The first thing he did was to go around the campus 
there at Bloomington, Indiana, and he, he rounded up all the Christian men that he knew. And they had a prayer meeting that night for me. God showed Jay that this book is your book. And so uh, the next day he came out of his room and I came out of my room and he said, Jay, have you given any thought to what we've been talking about? And I said, I sure have. As it's right there. And I was trying uh, to that time, I was trying to, to do really well in Russian language school, but it, it, was, it was not possible because I was so much under conviction. And uh, so the night that I received the Lord, he said, you know what I did last night? He said, I went around and I rounded up all my friends, all my Christian friends, and he said, we prayed for you that God would answer that prayer. God did answer that prayer, and so I've, I've seen that as a very effective means of evangelism. We, we, there is a limit to what a human being can do in bringing a person to Christ. It says, Jesus says an interesting thing in this order. When the Spirit comes, he will convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When the Spirit comes, he will testify concerning me. And you also, it almost is an afterthought, and you also will testify concerning me because you have been with me from the beginning. So the primary testimony to the, the things of God is the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. And, the, and we can be used in both facets of that, praying that the Holy Spirit will do His work, and then also being prepared so that when somebody has a biblical question that we can answer. Sometimes you just have to say, I don't know, or that question really isn't dealt with in the scriptures. But uh, by and large, the things, the questions that people have, my objection to salvation was this. How can God accuse me and how can God judge me when I'm trying to do what's right? How, what, what kind of righteousness is that? I was, trying, I was trying to be a good boy. My, my, my mother always told me, she said, you were a good boy. You were a good son. You didn't give us any trouble. And, you know, I was in church. Now, the fact that I had a horrible problem with profanity didn't occur to me. And the fact that I was almost at the professional level as a liar, that didn't occur to me. The, the crazy thing is that unsaved people really can't identify sin that, that they're obviously guilty of. I don't feel that, I didn't feel that I was guilty, and I didn't feel that God would be justified in judging me and sending me to hell for, uh, you know, these little white lies and things like that. Well, God is justified. And a, a verse that really helped me was Romans 3.23. And, and Dave said it this way, Jay. He said, do you have a pair of scissors anywhere in your room here? I said, yeah, I do. I got, got a pair. I said, what are you going to do, Dave? He says, I'm going to cut Romans 3.23 out of the Bible. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He said, do you think that includes you? He said, now, no. are you going to change your mind about that or am I going to cut this out of your Bible? And I could see immediately, I was convicted immediately because unsaved people really don't think there's anything wrong with them. And they look around and they say, well, I stand a better chance than that person stands, that's for sure. You know, I'm not fornicator or I'm not running around with someone else's wife or something like that so so my chances are better than his but the fact is we have to acknowledge first of all that we have sinned we are sinners and from that point on the good news begins but without the bad news there is really for the unsaved person there is no good news unless we bring ourselves to that point where we're willing to humble ourselves before God
the, uh, the, the things that uh, I covered before, I'd just like to repeat one thing, and that was a statement that was made by Finney before he became a Christian. He says, I don't want to become a Christian because I'm afraid that God will make me go out of the law business. And he said, I love law. He loved law. He was a very good lawyer. He had made his living in it for 10 or 12 years. And he said, I, I don't want to become a Christian because I'm afraid God will make me do something I don't want to do. That, by the way, is right from the pit of hell. Because God is not going to make you do anything that you don't want to do. And I realize that's a broad and sweeping statement. But he's not going to send you to Borneo if you're kicking and screaming. And uh, the, the interesting thing is that even Noah that might be brought forth as an example of a person whom God gave an assignment to that he didn't want. But Noah ended up going. And uh, God has a way of changing us so that we fit into what he has in mind for us. Because the truth is, you don't know the desires of your heart as well as God does. You don't. You really don't. And until that stuff is all set aside and God can show you, these are my desires, and he gives us the desires for that. Whenever I went to Russia, it was, it was such a thrill, really, uh, to go over there and to be able to teach the Russian pastors and uh, to listen to some of them. But the night that... The night that Finney received the Lord, here's what he said. Nothing, it seemed to me, could be put in comp into competition with the worth of dying souls. And no labor, I thought, could be so sweet and no employment so exalted as that of holding up Christ to a dying world. Isn't that beautiful? This, this from the mouth of the guy who said, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to have to become a preacher. And so uh, knowing that his education and everything like that. And so immediately uh, the pastors noticed that he had an unusual, unusually fruitful ministry. Hundreds and thousands of people were coming to a saving knowledge of Christ in western New York because that was considered the far west at that time. And so Finney said, I knew that I didn't have a seminary education. He said, I, I was... I knew that I wasn't an educated man in their eyes, and so he said he signed on with a women's uh, missionary board, and they said, we would like you to go into western New York State and preach the gospel in those towns where there aren't even churches. There were no, uh, there were no stated ministers, and there were no churches even, no church buildings. And so Finney did that, and from that barren soil, Sometimes, like the, the, the city of Rochester, New York, in the city of Rochester, they had three major revivals there. And these weren't tent meetings and the sawdust trail and everything like that. These were meetings where it was serious business. And you, you didn't become the member, a member of a church until you made public confession of your salvation before, before the church. It was, it was a, an amazing thing. And they estimated that in 1857, 500,000 people came to a saving knowledge of Christ using ministries like this. And Finney said, I can't imagine anything could be put in competition with the worth of dying souls. And so that's what happens when you become a Christian. He had been born once. And when he was born the second time, everything looked different. His desires were different. And so the, re the verse that I used last week 
to begin with was this, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thine heart. And I, I, I maintain that, and I don't think that you'll be disappointed at the end of your life, as I haven't been disappointed at the end of my life. Delight yourself in the Lord. Don't just be a, occupying a seat and taking up room in a church. Delight yourself in the Lord. One, one hour or two hours or three hours a week listening to sermons and going to church and Sunday school and so forth is not enough. You need to love God, and every moment of your day needs to be guided by that love. And when God encourages us to make changes and things like that, then we have to be ready to do that. And uh, I'd like to uh, give an example that A.W. Tozer said, and I'll, ju I'll just read a few, uh, a few paragraphs out of this book called The Pursuit of God. Before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him a world of useful and pleasant things for his sustenance and for his delight. In the Genesis account of the creation, these are simply called things. <laughs> it's interesting. They were made for man's use, but they were meant always to be external to the man and subservient to him. In the deep heart of the man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him was God without a thousand gifts, which God had showered upon him. But sin introduced a complication and has made those very gifts that God himself has given us a potential source of ruin for humanity. All of our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine in our lives and things were allowed to enter in. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace in their hearts because God is not crowned there any longer. But there is a moral dusk, a stubborn and aggressive usurper fighting within itself among, and among themselves for first place on our throne. You may remember Abraham being asked by God to sacrifice his son, and uh, the reason is very clear, and that is, <coughs> he says, it is, uh, <coughs> in speaking to Abraham about it, he said, I know that you love your son, but the but God also knew that the love that he had for Isaac had gone to the point of perversion. He loved his son more than he should have loved his son. Uh, my dad said, if you don't love your children, who is going to love them? We need to love our children. That's, that, that's not to take nothing away from that. But the love for our children must never usurp the place of God. Abraham went through with it. He took him up to, Mount, isn't it amazing, Mount Moriah? He took him up to Mount Moriah, which is the chain of hills on which Jesus was crucified. He offered to kill his son. He took the knife and had it raised, and then God spoke to him and said, stop, Abraham, now I understand. God let the, let the suffering old man go through it up to the point where he knew that there would be no retreat and then he forbade him to lay a hand upon the boy. It's all right, Abraham. I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy, sound and well. 
Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld from me thy son, thy son whom thou lovest. And there are things that arise, and Abraham wasn't unique in that, in, in uh, a perverse love of his son. He wasn't unique in that. But there are many, many other things. And this world seems to be full of things that can occupy the shrine that God wants for himself in your heart. And it's one of the things I, I believe that when the Bible says that we have to repent and believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel, that was the instruction that Peter gave. The repentance means that we have to change our disposition toward God. Repent literally in Greek means a change of mind. It's, it doesn't mean stop smoking, stop drinking, stop drugs. It doesn't mean any of that. It means a change of disposition toward God where we can say, yes, I have sinned. Yes, I have. And, and confession, by the way, comes from a, a Latin word. That's a Latin word, but through, from the Greek word means homo legeo, which means to say the same thing as somebody else. It can mean agreement, for example. A real estate agreement is the word that comes out as confession. And so first of all, we have to put ourselves in a right disposition with God. He is our creator. He can make whatever demands on us he wants. He can make whatever conditions upon us that he wants. And the wise person will submit to that knowing that essentially God loves us. God loves us. There are so many uh, wonderful passages of scripture that have to do with how joy is attained. How do we get joy? The Bible is full of amazing statements about the creator of the universe and his relationship to the human race. My research, uh, it has been my joy throughout my life to read what God has to say in his book, to put those things to the test and observe the outcome. God says that we, he will give us peace that the world knows nothing about. And as a Christian, you will find that you have peace that the world knows nothing about. Uh, that he will give you trust in the Lord. Listen to these promises from God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. We're always trying to hedge the moves that we make in our lives. Well, this doesn't make sense. Or somebody else may convince us that it doesn't make sense. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct thy paths. If we... If we wonder, some, I hear many Christians saying, well, I don't know what the will of God is for me. And I said, well, there are eight or 10 verses that tell you that, uh, that we should be sanctified for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. There are a number of verses that tell us specifically. But the way to find out what God's will for your life is to, to give yourself away. Tozer says this, that self-pity, hyphenated, self-pity is the most reprehensible of all the hyphenated sins. And, and I, I have come to believe that, seeing it in myself. Self-pity is the most reprehensible of all the hyphenated sins. It, we, can have, we can have a lot of those hyphenated words. Self-dependence, self-esteem, all of those. But self-pity is not one that we should, that we should encourage. Next to the Lord, uh, Jeremiah says this. Listen to this. Thy words, this happened to me the night I received Christ. Thy words were found, and I did eat. And thy word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. 
That was 58 years ago, and I have never changed my mind. When I have an opportunity and have some time, we woke, Betsy and I both woke up at the same time the other night, couldn't sleep. I had just had a blood transfusion. That's a bad time to try to sleep because you have extra blood in you and you feel really, really good. And, uh, and so she said, I said, well, why don't you read? And she said, well, you can listen to your player. And I said, that's great. So I listened to my player, Gospel of John, and Betsy was lying there reading. And so for the 58 years that I've been a Christian, when I have time, my heart immediately goes to the scriptures. What, what should I, where should I be now? Where should, what should I be studying? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. How about this one? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It, it brings it down to the senses. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person. By the way, when you see that in the, the Bible, very, very often it means person. It's anthropos is the word in Greek, and it means person. And so uh, throughout my life, uh, I've kept my eyes open for those things that, that where God promises joy. Listen to this one in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. These things we write unto you so that your joy may be full. Isn't that beautiful? We're writing these things in 1 John, writing his little epistle. You can read it in about 30 minutes. And then also in John 16, 24. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name, Jesus said. Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. So this whole idea that God is a, a, a cosmic ogre, ogre who is trying to take our joy away from us, who's trying to take our peace from us, has no place in the scriptures. God's desire is that we should be joyful, that we should be peaceful, that we should have all of those blessings that he's able to bring. Perfect love, that's God, perfect love casts out all fear. Now, for the first 40 years of my life, I worried constantly. I never remember going to school without a pain in my stomach. It was an agonizing experience for me to, to attend grade school. And I, I always thought everybody goes with, maybe everybody goes with a pain in their stomach. But I would go to school with a pain in my stomach and it, it took years and different kinds of experiences for God to wean me away from that. Somebody told me one day, said, Jay, you've spent most of your life worrying about things that never happened. And I had to agree with it. What if? You know? And Satan loves to keep you on the cusp of fear all the time. Just what if this happens? What if God asked me to go to Borneo? Or what if God asked me to give up my child or something like that? Well, those things don't happen normally. And what God does to want us to do is to settle down and be a good testimony to other people by our peace and our joy. And it's kind of infectious. Uh, I've had people tell me that. They said it's kind of infectious when you have... And, and that's not a phony smile on your face or something like that. It's, it's not that. It's something so deep that you're not even aware of it. Now, I'd just like to close with saying this. The... The things that God has given me since I became a Christian, there were many things that God has given me. But the primary thing that I'd like to spend the next five minutes on is saying that my wife is a gift from God. I became a, Christ a Christian in 1963. I prayed till 1972 that God would bring me a wife. 
And my father-in-law, who was the pastor of the church where I was choir director and Sunday school teacher, kept saying to me, Jay, if you don't beat the bushes, you're not gonna get married. And if you don't get married, the church can't use you. They're not gonna use a single man in the church. And so uh, that wasn't what I seemed to be hearing from God. What I seemed to be hearing from God was, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And I said, George, what if I went out and beat the bushes and found a beautiful, intelligent, spiritual woman I said, how am I supposed to know if that's the one God wants me to marry? I said, several, several women have that characteristic. You know, my, I can remember, and I told it last week, I can remember going down the 605 freeway and looking over at the car next to me, and there was a young woman in there, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if that's the one that the Lord has for me. It, 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 I was insane because two friends of mine had gotten married, and I wanted desperately, so finally when my two friends got married, I went to the Lord and I said, God, I think I'm capable, remember me? I think I'm capable of loving someone too. And so it was a very short time after that that Betsy and I began dating, and uh, wow. I, you talk about falling in love. I was working in Long Beach, and uh, Betsy lived if I went the long way to Long Beach, that is over the Long Beach Freeway in South and then back over Cherry the opposite direction. Uh, if I went that way, I could see the back end of her car. And for me, that was sufficient. Now, can you imagine anything as insane as that? But, but that's the way love is, you know? I was goofy. But the truth of the matter is I'm still goofy. I can't I can hardly wrap my mind around that person that God has given to me to spend my life with. He, he will give you his very best if you wait for him. And I, I guarantee you that that's true. I've seen it so many times. He, he'll, he'll give you his best. Do I believe that God has one, per, one person for you to marry? That's always up in the air as, as far as I'm concerned. But I believe this, if you say, God, bring me the one that you want for me, that he will do that. And so we, we got married. Betsy had an up and down life with me. It was, it was ridiculous. You can imagine li living in a $4,000 house, jacked 14 inches off the ground with rubber plumbing in it because I couldn't get it back, set back down until I finished the foundation. But anyway, it was a roller coaster, has been for her. I feel for her, but I love her deeply. Man, keep your eyes off of her. I was, gonna, I was gonna tell you that if you don't know Betsy, get to know her, but then I thought maybe I better not say that. Um, it, it's been a wonderful, for me, it's been a wonderful experience. I can't speak for Betsy. We've had two wonderful daughters who are walking with the Lord, beautiful kids, doing very well at raising their children. And next week, I'd like to take from that point of my marriage on the thing, the amazing things that God is, it won't be next week probably, but the next time we, meet together for this subject. The amazing things that God has done for me from the time that Betsy and I got married until today. And uh, it's, it's wonderful. I hope that what I have to say, for those of you who are not Christians, I hope this is an encouragement. God is not a cosmic troublemaker, problem person. He's not sitting up there wondering, how can I make Andy's life more miserable? How can I do that? That's not way, the way God is. God loves to love his children. He loves to spoil his children. He loves to give you things that you otherwise would never have had. And the main thing are those things that you can't get any other way. The peace of God that passes understanding. 
Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.